Welcome to Behind the Wings, a new podcast by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum. And we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It's time to go Behind the Wings. And don't forget, our best membership offer is still valid through the end of October. Use the code SEASON1 for 20% off a new Wings membership. Members get free admission to both locations, early access to exhibits, exclusive events, and much more. Hi everybody, I'm your host Rick Crandall, and with me for Episode 9 is he has been for the previous eight, is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. All right, my friend, John, what do we have for folks today? All right, Rick, well, today's show is a conversation with Alyssa Adekledi-Nafke, a professor of spacewalking. How many people can say that? Ali works for the Flight Operations Director at NASA's Johnson Space Center. That's NASA's center for human spaceflight based in Houston, Texas, where she specializes in EVAs or extravehicular activities. Now, most of her work has focused on the International Space Station, as you'll find out here. And whenever astronauts need to make a repair or check on maintenance issues, obviously they gotta step outside. They gotta take a walk. They need to exit the station and go for a spacewalk. It may sound simple, but there's a lot of training that goes into that. I've had the privilege of visiting NASA many times in the Space Center in Kennedy and, and watch the astronauts as they get ready to prepare to go to space when we had the space shuttle. And uh, let me tell you, it's not your walk in the park. Yeah, I, I don't know, John. I'm with you. Nothing sounds simple when floating in space 250 miles above the Earth. I can only guess what that must be like and how important it is to make those extravehicular activities as safe as possible. And with these upcoming Artemis missions to the moon, astronauts will soon be making new tracks in lunar regolith for the first time in about 50 years. What a fascinating topic and a fascinating time to talk about spacewalking. We could not have done any better than to have uh, Ali Batakledinovki with us today. Ali, thanks for being on the podcast. I honestly have been really looking forward to this. <laughs> That's uh, very flattering. I'm excited to be here. So this is this is cool for a whole lot of reasons. Um, I don't know that I've ever known anybody that's been like an expert in spacewalking. So um, <laughs> let's let's start with there is just an introduction to people that are joining us on what it is you do at, at, at NASA and how you came by it. Yeah, absolutely. So ooh, I could I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll try to keep it a, a little succinct um, how I came by it. I ever since I was a little girl, very interested in human spaceflight. You know, my dad told me all about the Apollo missions, and I just thought that was the coolest thing there could ever be. So um, as I went through school, I, I really was interested in, in math and science and technology. So thankfully, that jived. <laughs> and I um, got a aerospace engineering degree from Purdue University. And the connections between Purdue and NASA are just insane. So that really is what led me to um, my interview and, and this position I have today. Um, I have been working in spacewalking, which is called 
extravehicular activity or EVA in NASA speak. Um, mm-hmm. Since about 2007, I started as a as an intern for several semesters and then started full time in 2011 and have really uh, carved out a little corner of the world for myself where I um, very much help lead our, our spacewalking uh, endeavors right now off of the International Space Station of the ISS. The ISS, first launched on November 20th, 1998. Hard to believe it was that long ago. But it also is where we have learned so much about living and working in space over the past nearly 24 years. Wow. How do EVAs fit into an astronaut's mission? And specifically, when are EVAs necessary? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, for years since the the ISS started, did a lot of assembly spacewalks. Um, So that's like 2000 till like 2011, let's say, um, where we really considered ourselves building the space station while we were flying uh, piece parts up on the space shuttle. Um, Mm -hmm. So once we declared assembly complete in 2011, that was kind of a a little bit of a misnomer because we're always looking to upgrade the space station. So some of it, yes, is maintenance, just planned, you know, in your house, you might need a new refrigerator or a new water heater or, or something, a new air conditioner, something like that. Sure. Um, so we're, we're changing out old parts, um, but we're also, you know, constantly looking to upgrade. Um, let's get higher definition cameras. Let's get better solar arrays. So for the most part, our, our spacewalks are very planned, either planned maintenance or planned upgrades. I, I imagine it, boy, talk about layman's terms, but I imagine it's like you've got a, you know, 20 year old pickup truck and, and you love your truck with all of your heart, but she's looking a little worse for the wear after 20 (laughs) years. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, the, the ISS is just such an incredible orbital laboratory. You know, it's a national lab, um, and has been for such a long time, but you're exactly right. We're, we're dealing with designs from the the 1990s that we're making work into the 2020s. Um, but you know, very robust engineering designs. We are very fortunate to still be able to use that facility today and for many years to come through at least 2030. So when, uh, go to, to your career and, and go to kind of like the beginnings of, of ISS, but this was like next level at ISS for, for what spacewalking was going to be. Well, especially the frequency, right? You know, right. we... Shuttle missions obviously had spacewalks, and we absolutely built off our legacy there when it came to developing new tools and techniques. Um, But the sheer number of spacewalks we have done on the ISS and the frequency at which we've executed them is just absolutely next level Um, and and really incredible when you start looking at all the hours that have added up. Yeah, here's what uh, I'm really interested about. So there were untethered spacewalks right not 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 like a ton of them but at, at wings over the rockies air and space museum here in denver we've got an mmu which is a manned maneuvering unit which was actually an astronaut propulsion device used by nasa on only three space shuttle missions back in 1984 and if you've seen pictures of them they're some of the coolest space pictures ever uh, the mmu we have on display is a full-scale mock-up built by lockheed martin used by nasa to train astronauts in its use 
How cool would that have been? The units were retired after a safety review following the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. They were judged too risky and could easily be replaced by manipulator arms or tethered EVAs. You know, cool, but probably a little bit the risk-reward thing. Does, did that come into play? You hit the nail on the head with the word risk. Um, you know, a lot of what we talk about on a day-to-day basis at NASA is risk trades. You know, nothing is zero risk. But yeah. we, we talk a lot about making, you know, the smart decisions to have the least risk possible. And uh, while some of those, uh, you know, back in the day, shuttle spacewalks you're talking about with like the, the man maneuvering unit, the MMU, are incredible pictures, um, just really not necessary for the kind of work we need to do, especially on the space station, right? Like right. some of those shuttle spacewalks, we were thinking about techniques if we needed to, you know, capture a satellite and and do some maintenance on it and then re-release it versus uh, you know on the iss where we're working on that facility there's no need to be untethered floating somewhere else Um, so we just feel like it's the the safest route and um, for our astronauts just to stay nice and nice and locked on to our space station (laughs) we're always thinking of contingencies too right we're always thinking of what what if the tether would break which Knock on wood, we've never had that happen, Um, but we do have what we call a safer jetpack, the simplified aid for EVA rescue. So basically just a little little jetpack on there, um, attached to the back of their suit, that if they did become untethered, they could fly themselves back to to the station. Um, But like I said, that's more of a, if we found ourselves in an unfortunate day, would we be needing that? So if you go out of the ISS on a spacewalk, now you're a mechanic you're an engineer you're an astronaut you're a, you're a whole lot of things that require a remarkable amount of training i'm guessing absolutely when we have our our astronaut candidates or our ascans come in they're hired in to go through their initial you know two years or so of, of qualification training um, mm-hmm. they're coming in from all different backgrounds you know we have teachers and Uh, doctors and pilots and researchers so you know not everyone knows my my job is very mechanical it's very have you used a ratchet wrench before (laughs) you know have you have you torqued down a bolt before so (laughs) we start um, you know with a very kind of welcome to EVA 101 training flow where we work on their their basic skills and their operational calm and their their body positioning and awareness and it, it is one of the areas that for ISS training that they spend the most hours. What have we learned from EVAs on the International Space Station? You know, a lot of the ISS, we control from the ground as much as we can to free up the astronauts' time to do science experiments and do spacewalks. So things like positioning the solar arrays is all controlled from mission control in Houston. Um, but spacewalking and those science experiments that they perform inside the ISS, those are really two of the major things that is entirely the crew. They are hands-on doing it themselves sure. um, with not much more than the ground kind of talking them through it. Um, so we spend a lot of hours training in those two areas. All right. So a lot of things. You come from Purdue, you're down at NASA, you're space geek you you know <laughs> right and you and you walk in the door and here's Allie in the in at the Johnson Space Center what was that moment like oh my goodness you know I I remember um like I said something I'd been dreaming about since I was probably about eight years old and 
I started so early in my career. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the relationship between Purdue and NASA especially. Um, both have very established um, cooperative education programs, which now um, the, the formal NASA term now is Pathways Intern, but it's basically kind of an extended internship where you sign on to come back for multiple work tours, so more than just a one-off summer. I interviewed for that my freshman year of college, which was just so shocking to me. I'd had like Physics 1 and Calc 1, and here I am interviewing to work at NASA. Um, and then I started my fall semester sophomore year i was 19 when i walked on to the johnson space center grounds for my first day of work which was just absolutely surreal um but even now oh my gosh um 15 years later there's still so many pinch me moments you know especially when i have a day when I'm working at the, the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory, the NBL, for example, which is a, a huge pool that we use to, to train our astronauts how to do spacewalks. And you're standing on that pool deck and, and watching astronauts get submerged in the water in their full up, you know, spacesuit for spacewalking. And you're just like, I can't believe this is my nine to five, but this is my day to day <laughs> job and I get paid to do this. So that that shine doesn't really wear off. And now for a quick announcement about membership at Wings. If you enjoy listening and want to support Behind the Wings and Wings Over the Rockies mission, well, here's how. Support Wings' mission and storytelling by becoming a member for awesome perks, like free admission to both locations and free access to other cultural institutions around the world. Join a great community of aerospace fanatics and lifelong learners Use the code SEASON1 for a 20% discount. That's SEASON, the number one. Offer valid for new members through the end of October 2022. To learn more, visit wingsmuseum.org membership. And now, back to the show. I don't know that we fully understand or appreciate maybe a lot here in the States the importance of ISS and, and what we've learned there, right? It's not on the nightly news. Hey, we, you know, this discovery was made or this, this experiment showed us this. I, I feel like we don't, you know, there's not that funnel of information so much like there is as we compete for space on the news every night. This has been really a, a remarkable thing, this ISS. It's in, in a lot of ways, I suspect a, a bit of sadness that it's, you know, coming near in, in end. Um, but uh, tell me a bit about its mission and what's been going on up there. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's incredible. Um, although I may not be the best at naming off individual things myself, um, sure. anyone can go and Google, you know, NASA spinoffs or, you know, ISS technology development. And there are just an, an insane number of things in your day-to-day -day life technology-wise um, that have come off of the ISS, or even a lot of things like medical research and medical developments, things we um, can't necessarily do um, on Earth that we need the zero gravity environment for. The fact that it really has been over 20 years now of this incredible laboratory um, yeah. that has benefited our, our daily life. I think it is not widely known just how much your day-to-day -day has been impacted by the ISS. Sure. The International Space Station is shutting down soon. We know that. So what is your opinion that the legacy of the International Space Station will be? The fact that we've had a, a continuous human presence um, in low Earth orbit for over 20 years now, 
yeah. amazing. I think there's a huge legacy of human exploration that we're just furthering, and we might as well um, learn how to do it closer to home <laughs> before we start going to further away places, which we're getting close to that. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, but the ISS has really been um, an amazing proving grounds for um, learning how to live in space for long duration, starting to think about what kind of technologies we're going to need for, for humans to live further away for long duration. Um, and really, you know, I look at it as, um, you know, everything has a lifespan. Everything has a day that it's, it's time to, to sundown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't look at that as a, as a discouraging thing because we have amazing commercial partner relationships that are really coming online to, to take those reins for low earth orbit. Right. You know, I think it's, um, all these companies now that are really involved in spaceflight that didn't exist 15 years ago when my career started. Um, the fact that we are nearing a time when um, obviously we've already started with our commercial partners getting us to low Earth orbit on launch vehicles. And the, the whole intent is that we're not going to retire the ISS until we have commercial space stations that are off the ground so we can continue that low Earth orbit laboratory you know, work that we need to keep doing. Um, time for some new facilities that I'm, I'm sure NASA will partner with and send our astronauts there too um, while we start thinking about the moon and Mars and beyond. So back to spacewalking, because I, I was thinking, I, I had read uh, some comments you had made uh, in an interview, and it, it cracked me up because if if the movie Apollo 13 is ever on my television, I have just lost however much longer there is in the movie. I've Same. lost it. I'm just gonna, and and you reference that, and the you know the scenes where they're dumping pieces and parts and stuff out on a counter and trying to figure a solution to what's going on, and and you know kind of the equivalence to spacewalking and times when you encounter things where you kind of gotta right be creative. Absolutely, you know, uh, and that's no joke. More than once in my career, real time during a spacewalk, we are outside. We are dumping a set of tools on the table and trying to figure out where, where we're going with that. Um, you know, one, one that comes to mind in particular, we just have the most creative engineers here, creative minds, and we really do work as a team. You know, we had this one spacewalk where we were um, changing out a, a, a box that was related to our power system. So passing power from our solar arrays, you know, to our batteries, to everything that, that needs power. And we, we took this old degraded box out and we were trying to put the new one in and we couldn't get it installed it it wouldn't bolt down it wouldn't you know that bolt just wouldn't twist so we're thinking like what is going on do we have some kind of debris in the you know the bolt receptacle and one of the things we came up with it sometimes it's the simple solution that works was a toothbrush on the end of you know basically a uh on basically on the end of a drill that we you know, swirled around in there to clear out some metal shaving debris and gosh darn it, that worked. And we got that box installed. So, you know, it, it really is, you have to be creative with just like Apollo 13, what you have up there, you know, we don't have launch on demand kind of, we need to fix this in the next three days. We can't sure. launch a vehicle in that time. So we got to go with what we have up there. Pretty exciting. 
you mentioned, um, you know, kind of what's next with NASA. Of course, we're all anxiously waiting for Artemis to get up and, and get to the moon. And, yes, and then, are we all? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And and then the crewed missions that will follow, which will involve moonwalking. Any compa- is there any comparison at all between spacewalking and moonwalking? You know, it's going to be interesting. Um, I will say that my my day-to-day right now is very much sustaining the the ISS and our operations we have going on there mm-hmm. because while all this Artemis development is obviously very exciting like I mentioned earlier we have at least eight more years of of living and working on the ISS yep you know it's obviously different because we're an international space station you're floating with zero gravity and you're on the moon with one sixth gravity so help us explain that. So a lot of my coworkers, while I'm sustaining ISS, are off developing um, all of our Artemis techniques. And, you know, it's exciting because we haven't walked on a surface in decades. You know, right. space walking for, for a long time with the shuttle and the ISS has really been a free float, you know, microgravity environment where you're using your hands to as both your hands and your feet to get to where you need to go and then to work. And it's been a long time since we have ambled on a surface with our feet, literally walking. So um, it's pretty cool to be able to rely on, um, you know, past Apollo experience and take that and springboard it with today's technology. And we have incredible research and development going on at locations across the world, Iceland, Arizona, where we are out, you know, practicing with some of the the most alike environments we can find on Earth compared to the moon to, to get ready for that. So thrilling to have that first woman and first person of color on the surface actually doing a moonwalk. I, I can't wait for that day. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. You sit back now. You, you've had a little time at it, not to suggest that you've aged or anything, but you've had <laughs> a few years at this now. As you think back on your time working with ISS, is there that, oh, wow, you know, I did that. We did that moment. Is there is there one of those? Oh, man. You know, I will say when we installed these HD cameras outside of the ISS, within the past few years. Um, before that, we had these, you know, again, standard dev cameras from the 90s. So yeah. when, we, when we had those HD camera views and we got to see for the first time in high definition what the outside of the space station really looks like, incredible to be able to to look around and see like, oh my gosh, my team wrote the procedure that installed that antenna. Or, you know, I worked on yeah. a team that helped to install that new docking module and to be able to see those things in space so clearly is just very surreal. Before I let you go, I, I, I have to ask this because being a, uh, a father of daughters and having uh, helped raise a granddaughter. So, you know, and then until about three years ago, we always had female pets for some odd reason. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been surrounded by a lot of that in my life. Did the challenges ever seem greater or or did you happen upon a time when maybe it was, uh, you know, it wasn't as unusual to see a woman in, uh, you know, doing what you're doing? How, how was that as you came up? Yeah, you know, I think I will say that I have been so fortunate for the people that have gone ahead of me. Um, and both at Purdue and at NASA Johnson, you know, there were... Um, such established support groups, um, so things like, you know, women in engineering program at Purdue. Um, and, you know, when I came in again in 2007 at Johnson, there were 
managers of all levels above me that had females in those positions. So I think it was just incredible to see, um, you know, before I even got there that we had already made so much progress. And um, I, I really cannot be more thankful f- to the people before me that paved the way. So you're in Chicago now. You'll you'll be back down in in Texas before long. What what is it uh, you've got your arms around right now? Is it just training up astronauts, getting them in the pool? What? Yeah. What's... So you you hit on. A, I'm in a unique situation where my time is split now. You know, I was. Um, I lived in, in Houston for 10 years and then um, had some personal reasons that brought me back to the Midwest as well. Mm-hmm. So now I, I split my time between Chicago and Houston. Um, and most of my um, job now consists of, I, I'm very much the operational lead for um, spacewalk preparation on the ISS. So my focus is really, you know, when is our next scheduled spacewalk? What do we need to, to get ready for that? You know, or do we have the right things launching on the vehicles that come up before that spacewalk do we have the right procedures written you know to give astronauts direction um to get their tools all ready for the spacewalk you know when i hop off this podcast i i will um go straight to developing some procedures for tool configuration for spacewalks we have coming up in november because we're already starting on that you know a spacewalk it's while it's just one day and you know a scheduled six hours and 30 minutes we spend months preparing and since we're just a few days from october that's kind of our bingo time it takes about a month before we go out the door to get ready so we're starting to send up procedures and you know go gather all these tools these this is what you're going to need for your spacewalk in november so my hands are are deep in that right now it's, it's like uh, being at Ikea and getting that little packet of uh, things to put. Exactly, exactly. And then you have to go find all of it. Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I do need to ask one more thing because it, it just hit me. It's an international space station. So there's people speaking all kinds of languages that are together. Does that come into play a bit too, language? Yeah. And... You know, I we have incredible international partners. Um, our Russian counterparts have their own spacewalk um, operations with their own airlock and, and their own spacesuits, and then um, our you know U.S. and then our partners from Japan and Canada and Europe all, all train on our, our U.S. spacewalks. But we're very cooperative. We you know we share tools back and forth, um, depending on just you know what job we need to get done or, or what job our, our Russian counterparts need to get done. Um, and we're fortunate that you know it, we. Um, not myself. I, I very much speak English, <laughs> but, um, you know, everyone up there um, has a certain level of English proficiency and Russian proficiency. And it, it truly is amazing to see how how well everyone communicates to, to you know, achieve the mission they're all up there for. Yeah. You, you touched on it earlier, the, the public-private partnerships, you know, so many, it seems like so many companies send in folks up in the space nowadays does that worry you at all a little bit or uh, is it still is it a good relationship at this point the more and any astronaut would tell you this the the more people that can go to space and see our planet from that point of view the better the more opportunities we have to to have humans get up there and have that experience Um, and i very much believe you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. I know that's a cliche saying, but the the more we are able to to partner and and tackle, you know, different areas, um, 
we're just the, the cooperation and working together of, you know, you work on the launch vehicle and you work on the lunar lander and it, the, the fact that we can achieve so much more working together, I think is fantastic. And, and earlier this year in April, we actually had the first private crew aboard ISS, right? We did with uh, uh, Axiom Space, sent their first crew to the ISS and did some great research projects. And we're preparing for the, for the Axiom 2 mission, hopefully sometime next year. Cool. Wow. You kind of carved down a nice little niche for yourself there, pal. <laughs> I really have. I'm very fortunate. <laughs> well, you earned it. You earned it. You you really, really did. Thank and, you. And uh, how cool to know that uh, in that big old manual for the ISS, there's a whole lot of alley stuff that's, uh, that's <laughs> in there that you've helped come up with. You know, way Seriously to leave a legacy. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. This was this was so great to, to have this conversation. Continued success. And, uh, hey, we'll all be looking to see what's next for you. Well, thank you. Great great to chat. And, you know, stay stay in tune with uh, NASA TV. There will be plenty of spacewalks, uh, you know, for everyone to watch coming up the rest of this year. Thank you, Alyssa Batakleti-Nofke, for joining us. That was pretty cool. You know what I loved about this? I'm a father of daughters so to hear the women that have been engaged in this program in this 10 episode first season from uh, suiting up sr 71 pilots to now suiting up astronauts that that walk out in space and taking care of them while they're up there this was really kind of i i think pretty special to hear from her uh, what were your takeaways john well you know you have to put yourself in the spacesuit and being able to try to imagine what it'd be like now most of us won't get that experience obviously it's at our age but when you're out on a spacewalk let's say you know from the space station uh, zero gravity and then if, when we get to the moon it'll be one sixth gravity and being able to take one step that can jump you who knows 20 feet 30 feet as we saw with the astronauts in the apollo missions i mean i just imagine what mm -hmm. that would feel like and uh She's made it alive for us, you know, and we really appreciate mm -hmm. what Alyssa was able to propose to us and describe and, and put us in that position. And uh, that's what I felt good about it today. Don't forget, our best membership offer is still valid through the end of October. Use the code SEASON1 for 20% off a new Wings membership. Members get free admission to both locations, early access to exhibits, exclusive events, and much more. That'll do it for episode number nine. Thanks for listening to Behind the Wings. Uh, be sure to visit uh, www.wingsmuseum.org to join the conversation, and that's where you can access our show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us an awful lot, and we really do appreciate it. And we'll see you next time right here on Behind the Wings. <laughs>